This is Satyavani, and we have Pragya Devi Marich here on Tea and Take. Um, this is our season finale. I know you're sad, but don't worry, we will be back in the spring of 2019. Yeah. Um, our season finale, we want to wish everybody a wonderful holiday season, however you celebrate that. And our final discussion for this year, 2018, and wrapping up is going to be about EMDR. Um, many of you who are in the Pragya Jamie Marich circles know her work in EMDR, but I personally, Satyavani, and my Zen Spot posse wanted to know a little bit more about her work and, um, and that experience. So Pragya, I'm just going to start out with a general question that says, what is EMDR? So EMDR is a abbreviation for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It is a mouthful. And it some, is. And in some interviews, I've heard the founder, Dr. Francine Shapiro, even admit it's a terrible name. But it was the name <laughs> she kind of worked with initially when she developed the method and discovered it. And she decided to stick with it for just historical continuity and continuity in the literature. So mm -hmm. eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is now considered a distinct approach to psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I am a clinical counselor whose specialty is working with trauma-focused care. And EMDR, which I will be calling it from here on out. Sounds good. Uh, is currently one of the two most researched and most used therapies for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. So if you would like, um, I often give people the 411 on EMDR by describing mm -hmm. the story of how it was created. I would love that. Yeah, because I just think there's it's such a bizarre method to try to describe, yeah. yet its premise is really fundamentally very simple and intuitive. So as more of a linguistic person, I just like to tell the story. So Dr. Shapiro uh, is a cancer survivor, and she was being treated for... Um, what she thought was going to be a fatal cancer diagnosis in the 1980s. And as a result of her recovery, she became very interested in mind-body medicine. She was based in the Bay Area. She studied meditation primarily with Stephen Levine and a lot of other great West Coast scholars in the yoga meditation world. So part of the context for this bizarre discovery is that she was used to experimenting on her body. She worked a lot with visualization and seeing like, if I did this with my mind, how would my body feel? If I did this with my sure. body, how would my mind feel? So, as Which a, is what a lot of practitioners and clinicians do. We do exactly. experiments with ourselves. Yeah. And Love it's it. really that, that fundamental premise of being embodied and noticing and going with something. So as the story goes, she was taking a walk in a park and some disturbing thoughts came into her awareness without her bringing them there. They just kind of came up. And she noticed that as she held the thoughts and held the disturbing things that came into her awareness, her eyes began, to, began moving back and forth kind of very subtly. Mm -hmm. And she thought it was kind of interesting. So she sat down as she was taking this walk and began to allow it to just keep happening. So I don't know if you could see what I'm doing with my eyes okay. right now, just kind of them moving back and forth. And then yeah. she also tried it in like a rapid diagonal fashion. Okay. So some versions of the story will say she was tracking trees. Some versions say she was tracking water. I've read enough of the history now that I believe she took several walks in the park. It wasn't just one walk. It was kind of okay. a discovery she kept playing with. 
And then she started to wonder, well, what happens with these same disturbing thoughts when I bring them up again? And she noticed they just didn't have the same charge to them. So she's used those words. They just kind of lost their charge. They lost their validity. Mm. And she wondered, I wonder if it's that crazy thing I was doing with my eyes that seemed to bring about this effect. May so, I ask a question? Of course. So, so with, with the, when she was initially experimenting with the movement of the eyes, um, was she consciously doing that? Like she was like, I'm making a point to do this activity with my eyes. My understanding is it happened spontaneously initially. Okay. And then it became more deliberate. Like it was a deliberate action to just keep going with it. Now, a commentary that I have made on the history over the years is, yes, she says this thing spontaneously happened with her eyes, but she was also walking well, that right. Happened. That's why I asked. And even part of now our understanding of EMDR is it's not necessarily just the back and forth eye movements that might be having the effect. It's any bilateral stimulation, Got which it. walking can be part of that. Right. Or well, moving of the yeah, arms. It's or, a great okay. question and we'll circle back to it. So okay. getting, getting back to kind of what she did next. Mm -hmm. gathered a group of her friends together mm -hmm. who were all clinicians and basically said, hey, I just want to see if this bizarre thing I stumbled upon works. So she had them deliberately bring up some disturbing memories, had them notice in that spirit of meditation, kind of even as we might know of in a yoga therapy type of practice, don't label it, don't judge it, just notice it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she moved her hand like this to get them to be able to track eye movements back and forth, back and forth. While they were thinking of this mm -hmm. thought. Yeah. While they were thinking, or the word she uses a lot is just noticing because it's not necessarily just about cognizant thinking yeah. or it's, it's, you could notice that there's this kind of fiery sensation in your chest. You can yeah. notice an image. It's, it's very free associative, whatever's coming up, notice it. And so really what she ended up developing is what a lot of us see now is a very much a guided meditation process that as things pop up, you just keep noticing them without judgment. But now there's a method and a protocol that she developed for us as therapists to answer questions, to kind of pinpoint where to best do the work. But it's really amazing because I've had a lot of Amrit yoga therapy that I've received and there's a lot of similarities in the method really. Interesting. This whole idea of don't put a label on what's coming up. Don't judge it. Just notice it. Absolutely. And, you know, it'll move and shift. And I think that's one of the mechanisms of why EMDR works so well is a lot of what we as meditation practitioners have tapped into. But what this eye movement thing seems to be doing or this bilateral stimulation thing seems to be doing, it's accelerating the process. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. It allows the connections to happen more quickly and perhaps more connections between what is being noticed and the sensation that follows. What is being noticed, the sensation that follows, and essentially getting that memory state, which comes out as a sensation or comes out as an experience, get sure. it to shift to an area of our brain that's more efficient in its storage, that's less reactive. Gotcha. So here's what we believe after all these years, the eye movements or the bilateral stimulation is doing. Because just one quick note of the story. About a year after, not a year, because it took up a year or so for the initial research to come out. And then about a year or so after that um, is when they discovered you don't really need eye movements for the method to work. That you can do it 
with, there was a blind gentleman who came along and he couldn't easily track the eye movements. So they rigged up stereo headphones that he was able to put on, on his head and the beeping tones would go back and forth. Alternate ears. Alternating tones. Yeah. And that would help him to, to process. And a similar effect was uh, observed. They also tried tapping his legs back Mm -hmm. and forth. And now we have machines that can even create the touch pulse in the hand. Yes. Um, So like, that's what I use when I receive EMDR because I'm much more of a tactile person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the receiving tactile bilateral sensation in that alternating way works for me a lot better than I. And even may I ask another question now is the, is the, I hate to use the word goal, but, or is the, the, the purpose in the process Mm -hmm to accelerate the repressed, I'll use that word, or the hidden or um, deeply inserted mm-hmm. experience is the, is the process, the purpose to accelerate that to the fore so that eventually it can just come out. Yeah, um, and interesting use of the word goal. I'll use our word intention, that the Thank intention you. of Thank the you. process is to activate the, the area of the brain mm-hmm. where those reactive perceptions happen. Okay. To activate the area of the brain where those reactive sensations can happen. Okay. To activate it, stimulate it, which is what the dual attention or the bilateral is doing, mm-hmm. and ultimately help it come out, kind of using layperson's terms, right. and then shift it to this other part of our brain that's more efficient in its storage. Now, for me to go further into that, I have to give you a little bit on the triune brain. Okay. So, I think the best angle. <laughs> I like okay. the hand, yeah. The hand model of the brain. Okay. Yes. So, the human brain is, everybody who's watching this, just go ahead and make a fist and look at your fist. And you can see here what essentially looks like a brain leading down to your brain stem. So this would yep. be the brain stem, the spinal cord, all that good stuff. And from here, all the way down, your hand would be what is essentially the brain stem or the reptilian brain. It's yeah. essentially our brain that is most associated with animal life. So right. the basic functions like... Fight or flight. Fight or flight's limbic. That, that's coming okay. in a little bit. But freeze is definitely part of that... Um, that whole idea of freezing to submission, freezing stuck, that's even older. Um, and by older, these three brains, the neocortex, not the neocortex, definitely not the neocortex, the reptilian brain or brainstem, the limbic brain, and yep. this is the neocortex. This is the newest brain. This is the brain that is associated with mammals, not mammals, with I'm, I'm really messing this up. This is the brain that is, that is most associated with primates, higher level thinking skills. Right. The limbic consciousness. Brain, consciousness. The limbic brain is mammalian. Fight, flight. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to the brainstem. So the brainstem, uh, uh, free, uh, the freeze response we talked about, breath, heart rate, mm-hmm. uh, all the things we really kind of get people to sense into at a basic primal level in a yoga practice is yep. very much working with the brain stem. Gotcha. Now the limbic brain is where all the funkiness can happen with mammals when it comes to trauma, because that is where the fight flight response happens. That's where the amygdala is yes. a part of the brain that signals and alerts us to danger. And that's also where dopamine is released and all the gotcha. addictive responses just go off. And so much of what those responses are about that release dopamine and these crazy levels is to kill pain. 
because the limbic brain is so much about emotion and feeling and sensation and all of that. And when we go through a traumatic or any stressful experience, the amygdala and all the other parts of the limbic brain signal danger for us. And the problem is that panic button never gets reset for many of us or never gets reset fully. And yes, there are a lot of practices that we teach and other therapeutic approaches that we do that can help a person kind of um, neutralize, deactivate that limbic level distress. I mean, yoga and meditation help us do that all the time. Absolutely. Part of what, and this is why I love using yoga and meditation in concert with a method like EMDR, but part of what EMDR facilitates is this dual attention stimulus that I described, or bilateral stimulation as we call it, this back and forth motion, opens the bridge more widely between the limbic brain and the neocortex. So the neocortex in humans is speech, logic, higher level thinking skills, that wisdom to know the difference. That sense that, yes, I know this happened 30 years ago. Right. Because the thing about the amygdala and these reactive perceptions that we talk about so much is it has no clock. I was just going to say, it's not time bound. Not time bound. So -hmm. you can tell a person all you want, that's the past. But if they are still working from that state of activation in the limbic brain, that's not going to get through. And so when we talk about this dual attention or bilateral process can potentially shift how memories are stored in the brain. What we're shifting is the optimal storage or the maximal storage from this limbic Mm -hmm. to more of the neocortex, which helps us to see the bigger picture (laughs) and can help us make not even necessarily more sense out of an experience, but the intention is so that we can have a more adaptive response to what happened to us. And that's a term that's used a lot in EMDR, that the purpose of the method is not to wipe out the memory. It's not about memory erasure. It's not about, um, you know, saying it never has to bother you ever again and you're fixed for all time, but it essentially will help us to shift how the memory is stored in the brain so it no longer has the same hot activated charge Got it. that caused you to be so reactive. Okay. And so this back and forth eye movement, tapping, however you're um, initiating the process, essentially widens the bridge between the limbic brain and the neocortex, specifically okay. the corpus callosum, which is the receptor point for the neocortex. So the dual attention stimulus itself widens the bridge. Okay. What we're doing with the speed accelerates how the information is processed. So it's kind of almost like cranking up. Exactly. A, um, mm-hmm. If you were on a, um, on a stationary bike. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. moving yeah. this way and then the faster it goes, the, mm-hmm. the more rapidly that experience moves from one section of the brain to the other. Yeah, and a metaphor that uh, my partner Amber and I use a lot is this idea of the bridge and how it, when, when information processing in the brain is working at its best, there's a nice flow going in the bridge that really links all three brains. And even when we talk about when mindful awareness is working at its best, the medial prefrontal cortex here is activated and everything's communicating together as it should be but unhealed trauma the imprint that that leaves can cause a backup on that bridge it can cause things to get stuck 
in the limbic brain. And the thing about the limbic brain and traumatic or stressful experiences is it's designed to keep us safe at the time. Of course. No, for your body to alert you to say something's wrong. Right. That's, but that's, as you had mentioned, with it not being time bound, yes. that never releases uh-huh. from that space. Yeah. And especially if a traumatic or a stressful experience is not addressed right away. Because a lot of people go, a lot of people can go through traumatic experiences or stressful experiences and they have adaptive coping or support or validation or what they might need in place, maybe a yoga practice or meditation practice to keep the flow going. Yes. And the interesting thing with even a lot of our asana practices or even a breath practice like Nadi Shodhan, it's naturally bilateral. Well, and I was going to ask you when you were talking about bilateral movement, whether it was the eyes, whether it was tapping, whether it was moving. I mean, in yoga, mm-hmm. we do a lot of that bilateral work. So, and, and I would imagine that the relationship, based on the research, mm-hmm. comes together beautifully in that space. Can you speak to that? Yeah, and part of what, what I have always said in my writing is that I think what Dr. Shapiro stumbled upon in her discovery is a more accelerated, more office-based way Got it. to tap into what I feel the yogis have Known for thousands of years. Right. Um, uh, The the yoga feels to me, just based on what you're saying, and I like how you put that, that mm -hmm. office-based approach, I think that the asana piece, and then we add the pranayama, we add the meditation to it, has more of an embodied feel. Right. And one of the things I like about combining yoga and dancing mindfulness and more of the expressive arts in my work with EMDR is I do think that the practices, the embodied practices that we share a passion for do help with more of the slow healing. This idea of over time rewiring the brain. And I think there's an element of that that's very important. Even St. Hildegard of Bingen, who I have a big devotion to and is considered like one of the greatest mystical healers of our time, mm-hmm. um, talked about slow medicine and how you can't rush the healing process. No, you cannot. Yet the other part of that, and because I, I don't think EMDR is necessarily a quick fix or rushes the healing process. Oh, it doesn't seem that way at all. No, but it can give people more, it can give people relief more efficiently and more quickly. So that I think there's an openness to more of this slow healing. You know what what I find fascinating about this project is, um, you know, there's a lot of dialogue about clinical approaches to handling things such as, as trauma, et cetera. And we come from a culture that is very much about the, the quick fix, like, oh, you don't want to have any pain whatsoever, so here's a pill. And, yeah. you know, and what I appreciate about this approach is that it is a clinical scientific method that takes on the features mm-hmm. and couples beautifully with mm-hmm. the idea that something like trauma is going to take, it could take lifetimes mm-hmm. to, to feel relief from mm-hmm. and to allow, and, and it provides space for, to allow people to heal versus like, shouldn't feel that you got to move on. Here's a pill, shut it down, you know, et cetera. And let's turn everybody into an automaton versus like, 
this is an embodied experience and it's going to take some time. And that's some of the criticism I've even made of a lot of the marketing that can happen around EMDR that's out there. Like in three sessions, you can clear a trauma that's plagued you for, for years. And on one hand, there could be some truth to that for some people right. uh, if the trauma is more single incident. But with a lot of the clients we're working with, it's trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. So while I think EMDR does work quicker and more effectively and more efficiently than if we were just just talking or just doing yoga, um, I do think it can, and I like your use of the word accelerate. And even that was one of Dr. Shapiro's original words she used Mm -hmm. in her models was accelerated information processing. It can jumpstart the process. Absolutely. Um, yet part of that is, and, and people I train, we try to be very responsible with, um, you know, making sure that some of these other practices like breath and mindfulness, and I teach my trainees a lot of um, yoga-based strategies they can use to help a person deal with the intensity right. of emotion that may come up. Absolutely. The thing about EMDR and what can help make it so effective is it does bring up a lot of affect and a lot of emotion that you don't necessarily have to talk about. But you, no. are, but you are challenged to feel it Absolutely. You are fully. And that's where a lot of clients can struggle with it. So that's where a lot of our practices can help ease a person into being kind of ready for this fullness of EMDR. And then a lot of our practices really help set a person up for long-term success totally. after the EMDR. So one of the things I love about what I do is how it all fits together. Beautiful. Um, And even in my own journey, so much of how I found at least Eastern based practices in meditation was through my EMDR therapist 15 years ago Um, when I started working with her. Because how I got into EMDR myself was somebody did an intervention on me because I had just come back from Europe and I was a couple of years sober and I was working on my graduate degree, but I was still being very triggered by people I was working with. Um, I was dissociating. My body was just not in a great place. And a gentleman I worked with who was a friend said, you need to get some more therapy if you're going to last in this field. And one of my protests was, I don't see how more therapy is going to help because I feel like I know the bubble dot answers to the CBT workbook or the cognitive workbook that people are going to tell me how I should be thinking and feeling. And I also had a head full of 12 step knowledge. I knew what I should be applying with the 12 step principles and all of this. It was all up here, which I needed to kind of stabilize me. And But you also have to get this to move. And part of this idea with the triune brain model is for many people, yes, you need that top-down healing, at least at first. It's similar to dressing a wound or stitching a wound. You you need to stabilize it enough so that the healing can happen from the inside out. And that's where I was the first two years of my recovery, was it was very outside in with some spirituality thrown in, which I think helped, but I really needed something to be more inside out for me. So yeah, this, this guy told me to talk to one of my professors and I did, and she gave me a card and said, here, go see Janet Thornton and Boardman. She does all the weird stuff. And the weird stuff. <laughs> I was willing at that point to do the weird stuff. You're part of the weird stuff. Oh, I am the weird stuff. <laughs> you are the weird stuff. <laughs> I am the weird stuff. Yes. And, and it was just an amazing journey. And that first summer receiving EMDR when I was about 24, 25 years old, was the first thing that really lifted what I described as a state of chronic suicidal ideation that I had experienced since about the age of nine. Wow. 
And in EMDR therapy, and this is something that some of you in the more holistic community may not know, one of the things we do when we initiate the eye movements is after we've asked questions about an experience and have gotten the network activated and kind of get the feeling going, we'll say, just notice that and then start the eye movements. It's not think about it. Tell me how you feel about it. Describe it. It's, awesome. just just, it's there. It's, it's just noticed. And what I ended up discovering was I was applying just notice that or go with that in every part of my life. And it's so funny that even in meditation emotion, how Chandra Kant will say all the time, go with that. We say that in EMDR. And I know Shapiro completely got that from her Eastern training. Um, well, it's, it's fascinating because I, as you're saying these words and asking these questions, it, it reminds me of um, yoga therapy training that I've done, you know, what's happening now mm -hmm. and, um, you know, feel it um, versus let's jump on the dog pile and, you know, analyze the crap out of it, you know, and, and it also, it's a, it's also seems very um, gestalt in nature. Very. Yeah. She definitely you know, drew on a lot of gestalt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, um, uh, what, what we call in my Acharya world, hot seat kinds of ways of being like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you sit, you sit on the seat and, or as it's known in gestalt, the open seat, we call it the hot seat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and allow that process to unfold. And there's nothing that needs to be right. mm -hmm. talked through. You know, we, we, we talk mm -hmm. too much. Exactly. And, and what I like about what you're sharing is not only is it, we don't have to talk about it, but by coupling it with the physical asana practice, the pranayama, the meditation, there is another set of tools that are given to the person so that when the memory, sensation, feeling, whatever we describe that as comes up, mm -hmm. it's and allowing that to be processed through, people still do want tools right. on how to totally. handle that coming up. Totally. And, and without having to talk about it. Exactly. And that, and that's the heart of how I like to train people in our curriculum. I love this. One of my criticisms of some of the EMDR trainings that's out there and, and even the founder I've criticized for this, cause she was, you know, her intentions were awesome, obviously at the beginning, but it was working with a lot of more single incident trauma and the more complicated the people we saw coming to us, which is most of our clients, we can't just expect them to go with that and feel something unless they're given the tools first for kind of how to sit with that. And okay. so like our program, when we call ourselves Institute for Creative Mindfulness for a reason, is that mindfulness is the thread that runs through all of our instructional programs, including EMDR. And part of what we challenge our trainees to see is that by emphasizing mindfulness, we're getting back to the basics of where the founder even came from and developing it. a lot I of it. And, and, and I know I see where she's coming from because a lot of what she had to do was kind of research, validate this and make it overly technical. Of course. I, and that's, you know, uh, that's, the cultural, that, that's the cultural thing mm. that we have. And sometimes her technicalness, technicalities around how to set up the protocol can get so maddening and it can get very maddening to teach. It's kind of like, you know, learning the Amrit script and how I balked against that when I went through my teacher training. But I, I've, I've grown oh. to... 
there's a higher purpose in all of it, but she did so much of that manualizing and technicalizing it to get it approved at the level right now because of all the weird stuff that's out there in the counseling world and holistic world. Um, us hippie therapists who can get chastised for this, this stuff that we're talking about EMDR is the most researched validated of all the weird stuff that's out there. And I really credit kind of the founder's vision for that. But what we're saying is now that we have that established, we really have to get back to some of the basics of where she came from, which seeing this as really just an, as an accelerated, um, mindfulness approach, meditation approach, and, and it all blends together. You know, I know we've talked a lot about Sanatana Dharma and this power of like, oh, it's all one, it all links up. Um, one of the times I was at Amrit this year, I started crying in one of the lectures as we were talking about- It's like the story of my life. This idea of universal truth and how what I do with this weird practice links into kind of the larger healing work that I know all of us are feeling a call to do. You're amazing. I am going to ask you this final question because this is exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. Tell me and our viewers here about the trainings, when they happen, Mm. um, how, how they are delivered. Right. um, And in general, what costs are like, if somebody wanted to get trained in this kind of, of therapeutic approach, how would they do that? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because to be a fully trained EMDR therapist, you do have to be a master's level clinician, meaning counselor, social worker, psychologist. We're able to make some exceptions. Like I just led a pastoral counselor in our program with a good deal of clinical experience. Um, So we have some leeway on that, but typically we need you to already come in with a clinical background to do the full training. Now, if you're a non-clinician or you don't kind of work in the helping professions directly as a licensed clinical person, there's still ways you can learn a lot of the EMDR related techniques. Okay. um, So my book EMDR Made Simple is a good one to go to for that. Uh, Laurel Parnell's Tapping In is another one you could go to. And even Dr. Shapiro herself in 2013 wrote a book called Getting Past Your Past, Self-Help Techniques from EMDR. Um, So you can do some of the basic preliminary level kind of uh, self-soothing tapping, uh, doing some of the guided visualizations that we use in EMDR. So there is is some leverage for people who are not fully trained clinicians. Um, So a a standard training is usually a minimum of six days that is split into two parts, plus supplementary supervision or consultation, as we call it, where um, a senior person in EMDR mentors you through it. So if you're interested in my approach, uh, go to instituteforcreativemindfulness.com. Myself and my team do trainings all over the country, uh, and you can find the closest place. I will tell you, we're one of the few programs where you're really going to get this big mindfulness embodied focus. I love it. Even in the training of something as weird. And that's why I asked, because I know that there's trainings all over the place, but your unique approach for... The majority of the folks that are being listening to this program who are, you know, yoga teachers, maybe yoga therapists, um, life or spiritual coaches, right? Um, you know, that fall into that genre are going to be looking more for right. the approach it is that the Institute for Creative Mindfulness exactly. does. And I love it. We have so many yoga teachers who are also clinicians that come through our program. And my heart sings when (laughs) uh, we can kind of talk and and work in a way that combines the worlds. And everybody who's on my faculty um, are are kind of into this too. Uh, 
this way of thinking, this way of, of, of approaching um, life. So my co-author, Stephen Danziger, he's, he's also a senior faculty member. He's in LA. Um, he's at a Zen practice for almost 30 years, nice. um, was a Zen monk for, for many, many years. He uh, or was in residency in a Zen monastery uh, is the more correct way to say that. <laughs> and, uh, so we just wrote a book that came out last year called EMDR Therapy and Mindfulness for Trauma Folks nice. Care. And it uh, was a real kind of love passion for both of us to blend these two things we love so much. For him, more of the Buddhist meditation. For me, more of the yoga and expressive arts view of looking at meditative arts and bringing that together with EMDR. So that book is also a resource that even a lot of non-clinicians have found valuable, people who are wanting to go through EMDR therapy. And I should give that plug as well. I was going to ask you. Yes, please do. That if you're looking for an EMDR therapist, on our website, Institute for Creative Mindfulness, we keep a listing of people we have trained, but there's way more out there. Um, Emdria.org, E-M-D-R-I-A.org is the best place to go to for people who've been trained at a very high level. Again, I don't necessarily endorse everybody that you might find there, but it's a good place to do a zip code search. Um, You know, you're also willing to, or welcome to send us a contact. And if I know of somebody personally in your area, I can do my best. Awesome. And then another website plug is traumamadesimple.com. TraumaMadeSimple.com. That is is the resources website that I keep up. Everything free that I've done online is there. So ICM, our group, we have the largest online collection of free EMDR demonstrations. So you can see EMDR being done on on my YouTube channel and a lot of the related techniques as well. So we're pretty clear in the videos which ones you can try on your own versus which one are just kind of there for education and training purposes. Got it. But everything is is nice and neatly cataloged on Trauma Made Simple. Awesome. Oh, Dr. Merritt, you are amazing, doing amazing work both on the clinical level and the spiritual level. And at the same time, they're all the same because yeah. it is Sanatan Dharma. I want to thank you for this beautiful explanation and this amazing um, opening and offering to all of us here that are interested in this either personally or seeking out some additional wisdom um, for their own professional work. Jai Bhagwan, friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And And, uh, folks, if you are interested in connecting with Dr. Marich um, on EMDR or other um, protocols as it relates to the Institute for Creative Mindfulness, Dr. Marich, what is the best way for them to do that? couple ways. Honestly, go to any of the websites, Institute for Creative Mindfulness or Trauma Made Simple. There's a contact form. You can reach us either place. I'm also all over Facebook, Institute for Creative Mindfulness uh, or Dancing Mindfulness. You can reach me that way too. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody have a fabulous new year. And uh, Dr. Maris, did you have tea today or was it just me today? I'm just doing the golden milk. I'm so proud. So proud. Um, But cheers to you. Happy New Year to all of our viewers. And we will see you in 2019 in the spring. Peace, everyone.